You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith trust. Well, if it isn't the star-spangled man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Hey there! It's Independence Day! Well, at least around the time of a recording, because if you listen to this on Monday, it'll be Independence Day. But if you take a holiday on Independence Day on Monday, then you probably aren't listening to this. But it was Independence Day weekend when I'm recording this, so I'm celebrating it by taking a pixie out of my pocket, sprinkling some of that pixie dust around, and grabbing my happiest thought and flying to Neverland. This will be a, well, a short trip, because... I really just want to do some patriotic things, and I'm recording this as early as I can because I have some fun things to do over the weekend, Uh, but I still wanted to take time to make a fun show for y'all, and so I did a couple of things. There were two new movies that opened this week, and I, of course, want to give a review to those movies and share it with you, so if you're making any plans to see any movies that you maybe didn't see over the holiday weekend, I got a couple of recommendations for you on what or what not to go see. Uh, also, I did see uh, a very interesting, well, I guess it's a trailer, but it's it's almost more of an informative type of thing that I just saw at the movie theater this very morning of uh, me recording this. So I will find that and share it with you as well. Uh, Really, that's going to be it. I'm going to share a couple of trailers with you, then we're going to have some fun with some patriotic music. I haven't even dug everything up that I'm going to throw in here. I'm just going to make this the most fun patriotic kind of audio. I've got audio that I've I've used it all already multiple times. But when Jesse recorded the flag ceremony in Disneyland, we're going to listen to that and any other fun music or anything else that I can just throw in there. I'm just going to go crazy. This is sort of a half-planned episode, a half-just-having-fun. So... I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to have some fun putting this together because I always do. Uh, and if you want anything of Disney news, I'm not going to dive into so much, but apparently Samuel L. Jackson had a conversation with George Lucas and they decided, yep, Mace Windu lives. So, okay, I don't know if Disney's going to consider that canon, but okay, we'll take it. Mace Windu somehow or another survived falling multiple stories, but well, I guess we never see him hit, so did he save himself? You know, he's short a hand, but that can be easily be replaced. So I guess Mace Windu could survive. So does this mean, you know, maybe Disney will allow him to appear as an older man in some of the newer movies? Well, he'd have to be pretty old, though. How? Well, Mace Windu doesn't necessarily have to have been completely human. He's humanoid. So maybe he's of a from a planet where everybody lives for, I don't know, say, 200 years. So... <laughs> So he might still look about the same age as Samuel L. Jackson does right now. (laughs) So maybe we can see him. But I wouldn't cross my fingers or hope for it or whatever. 
the other little bit if you want any sort of Disney news is of course Disney World is still really being careful about anything that might have a reference to an alligator uh, I've been seeing some photos where they're going to take out I guess some of the topiaries of TikTok crocodile and stuff like that I understand you know they're they're wanting to be sensitive and careful with the incident that happened and eventually you know they will be able to go back to normal I'm sure it'll happen uh, but until then, you know, they're they're just trying to be nice. Um, so I know people are complaining about it online, but, you know, you kind of understand it and just realize it's not going to be forever. It's temporary. Um, but, yeah, there's a brief touch on a little bit of news. Now let's go ahead and get into some reviews. And I'll start with the BFG. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. You people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. What kind of a monster are you? Bone cruncher. Child chewer. Meat dripper. Gizzard gulper. Butcher boy. Please don't eat. You think, because I'm a giant, that I'm a man-goblin cannibal? <laughs> you can call me the big, friendly giant. Oh, my. I catch dreams. This one sounds like you. There are bad dreams here too. Yeah. Run, Sophie. Hide. You has a delicious little bean. Are you scared? Yeah. I'm not. Plan. Brave Sophie. This be the story of a little gal. It'll be great adventures and laughter. Times will be hard, times will be soft. So hold your breaths, cross your fingers, here we go. I'm going to call you BFG. Okay, I'm going to start in a slightly different direction because I found something very interesting about Roald Dahl and uh, that there's a photo of him with Walt Disney. Did anyone ever see the short The Gremlins published in 1943? See, Roald Dahl apparently was a World War II pilot. And, uh, well, here's I just want to read for you directly what it says on the official Roald Dahl website. It says, The Gremlins has a very good claim to being Roald Dahl's first piece of writing for children. It is certainly one of the first stories he ever wrote, and he began work on it in 1942, soon after his 
first paid piece of writing, Shot Down Over Libya, was published in the Saturday Evening Post. He was working for the British Embassy in Washington, D.C. at the time and sent his finished gremlin story to his bosses for approval. From there, it was forwarded by British movie producer and entrepreneur Cindy Bernstein onto Walt Disney, who liked the story so much he wanted to turn it into a movie. The gremlins are little creatures responsible for the various mechanical failures on aeroplanes, as the pilot in the story Gus discovers. Taking its inspiration from RAF folklore and the many gremlin tales he had heard during his own time as a pilot, Roald's story went on to tell how Gus tames the gremlins and persuades them to help him return to flying. Although the Disney film version of the gremlins was later shelved, a shortened version of the story appeared in the American general interest magazine Cosmopolitan in 1942 with Roald using the pen name Pegasus. And a year later, the gremlins was released as a book by Walt Disney and Random House with proceeds going to the RAF Benevolent Fund. Roald bought 50 copies to send out, delivering one to the First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, who responded with enthusiasm and was said to have read the story to her grandchildren. Although James and the Giant Peach, released in 1961, nearly 20 years later, was Roald Dahl's first novel consciously written for children, The Gremlins was marketed as a children's story at the time and remains an early example of the appeal of his writing to a young audience. It was reissued in 2006 by Dark Horse Books. The Gremlins also helped the little creatures already well-known in RAF folklore to cross over into the wider popular culture, and in 1984 film Gremlins, produced by Steven Spielberg and directed by Joe Dante, is said to be loosely inspired by the characters in Roald Dahl's story. Now, the photo that I'm seeing here on the website, uh, if you've played Epic Mickey, you know, you have the Gremlins in there, which I know I've seen in some of the uh, shorts. I know, you know they they had some fun with these, even though they're saying that they, this movie was unreleased. Perhaps there was a longer movie that was going to be made that maybe didn't come around, and I'm not sure what all they're talking about. I have not read this book. But uh, it's interesting to get some backstory of Roald Dahl and Disney. So now, I mean, we've come full circle, and there's been a lot of uh, different movies made uh, for some of his books. Uh, Matilda, and of course, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the original book. I always preferred the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with, um, you know, um, and my, with Gene Wilder, my brain went out the window. I definitely prefer that over the Tim Burton, although Tim Burton did try to stick a little bit more to the book, uh, but I just the style of it, and I just didn't like Johnny Depp's performance in that as all. But so now it's come back around where Disney has now, with Steven Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment and John Williams composing, made the BFG, which I had not heard of this book either, which I would now be interested in reading. This, I love the pacing of this movie. Uh, we got so much now in uh, in like children's entertainment, like with modern cartoons and family entertainment, where the pacing has to be so rapid fire because they it's like every child is ADD and they just can't keep up with it. This takes its time, develops a friendship and a relationship between this little girl named Sophia, which we don't really get her name until maybe 45 minutes into the movie. You know, it goes on. It just develops a relationship between a little girl and this giant who notices that she sees him. And, well, he can't have her telling anybody that giants exist, so he goes and kind of grabs her and takes her to the land of giants, which is kind of hidden in a weird map, and the only one who knows how to get there would be a giant, and these giants apparently have lived for a long time. Now, of course, he's a friendly giant. He's a big, friendly giant. But he's not the only giant around in this realm of giants. There are some big, bigger than him, even, nasty giants that uh, they are kind of cannibals. They like to eat people. 
so, of course, part of the story is keeping her safe from them. Uh, a little bit of a background story I won't get into about another friend that uh, that BFG has had, a little boy. That uh, we'll learn of his fate when we watch the film. But uh, it makes him a little bit more cautious around the other giants. Uh, so the, the, you, you start with some story of... You know, a friendship developing between these two, and then get into the story of these other giants need to be dealt with, and a really kind of fun way to deal with it that I'm not going to say anything because the trailers have not even gone into the full plot of this. All I gotta say, it was very, very fun, uh, and it's definitely worth your time to go see. I had a great time with this. It's a very heartfelt movie. It's got some good humor. Uh, probably one of the best uh, uh, fart jokes, we'll just say it like that, I've seen in cinema that's... Uh, <laughs> in a very long time that it's it's not done you know crudely or anything it's just silly so but that's Roald Dahl you know his he does a lot of silly things has some funny words uh scrum diddly umptious you know that word from you know Willy Wonka and the Chalico Factory that's come from full circle and it gets used in this one I mean just lots of fun words really imaginative and you know just some special fun of seeing what BFG does where he goes into this weird portal and he collects dreams like they're little bugs he, and he catches them and he blends them together and makes dreams and then goes around and and blows dreams into your sleep and gives you stories and i guess he's been doing this for centuries uh, but that's that's just introductory to the character that's not even where the story gets in i i really enjoyed this i highly recommend it i want this film to do so well and of course it's got a john williams score so go buy the soundtrack Great movie, great performance even by the little girl. My goodness, this little girl who played Sophie, she was just an adorable child, if you like kids, you know. And But she was just a great, great little character. And the actress who portrayed her was wonderful. The uh, computer animation for these giants, oh boy, after they get their finished product, they looked so good and so real and so believable that in your head you know, okay, well, this was computer generated, but you can see the performance of the actor who played the character that did the motion capture and the facial capture and all that stuff. You can see the performance through the character. Uh, it's a really wonderful movie. I highly recommend it. Go out there and see the BFG. It is thought to be a spirit, a ghost in the trees. No man ever started with less. You want to fight one of those? Here's my brother once. Whatever happens, do not interfere. speak of his power over the animals. Because his spirit came from them, he understood them and learned to conquer them.
Legend of Tarzan. Rated PG-13. Experience it in IMAX. July 1st. All right, so the next on the list, big movie opening, The Legend of Tarzan. I tell you what, this is a completely different scale from the BFG. Now, I want you to get out of your mind the Disney version of Tarzan, which I do love. It is a, a fun film. But this doesn't bear a whole lot of resemblance to the original Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan, as imagined by Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, first appeared in the novel Tarzan of the Apes uh, as a magazine publication in 1912 and a book publication in 1914. I do have an old copy of this. Uh, I don't even remember how my wife and I managed to get a hold of this. An old hardcover. And I have read it, and it was very different, I think, than what we expect. Uh, there are subsequently uh, 25 sequels to Tarzan of the Apes, several of them authorized books or by other authors and innumerable works in other media, both authorized and unauthorized. Now, I also listened to an audiobook of the second in the series of Tarzan. Now, Tarzan, of course, his real name turns out to be John Clayton. Now, if you if you watch the Tarzan movie by Disney, they have Clayton as a well, a villain, which is really not fair, because actually, uh, you know, that guy, you know, would have been, a, uh, I believe in the books, it was, it was William Cecil Clayton, who was, actually would have been like a cousin, and he was sort of a rival for Jane Porter, which, by the way, Jane Porter is a young American woman. Uh, they, you know, categorized her as British, which, you know, the author was, uh, I, I believe Edgar Rice Burroughs was British himself. Uh, so it's a little, you know, different, and of course, I guess they went from that to make her British and that, but actually, she's supposed to be an American. Um, but uh, there's a brief biography here I'll share with you from Wikipedia, and it says, Tarzan is the son of a British lord and lady who were marooned on the, uh, on the Atlantic coast of Africa by mutineers. When Tarzan was only an infant, his mother died, and his father was killed by Kerchak, leader of an ape tribe of whom Tarzan was adopted. From then onwards, Tarzan became a feral child. Tarzan's tribe of apes is known as the Mengani, great apes of a species unknown to science, and this film does deal with that. Kala is his ape mother, and Burroughs added stories occur occurring during Tarzan's adolescence in his sixth Tarzan book, Jungle Tales of Tarzan. Tarzan is his ape name. His real English name, as I said, is John Clayton. He is the Vicount of Greystoke. Uh, and according to Burroughs and Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, Earl of Greystoke, and later less canonical stories, notably the 1984 movie Greystoke, which I have not seen, but I believe that is the one that has, um, uh, oh, the Highlander. I, <laughs> my, my brain just went right out the window, but you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen Highlander, right? He was in a Tarzan movie, which I haven't seen, unfortunately. Uh, but Burroughs' narrator in Tarzan of the, of the Apes describes both Clayton and Greystoke as fictitious names, implying that within the fictional world that Tarzan inhibit, inhabits, he may have a different real name. In other words, like maybe this person actually did exist. Uh, but as an adult, you know, or young adult, Tarzan meets a young American woman, Jane Porter. She, her father, and others of their party are marooned on exactly the same coastal jungle area where Tarzan's biological parents were 20 years earlier. And when Jane returns to the United States, Tarzan leaves the jungle in search of her, his one true love. In the return of Tarzan, Tarzan and Jane marry. In later books, he lives with her for a time in England, and they have one son, Jack, who takes on the ape name Korak. Tarzan is contemptuous of what he sees as the hypocrisy of civilization, and he and Jane return to Africa, making their home on an extensive estate that becomes a base for Tarzan's later adventures. Now, that's kind of the area of where Tarzan is. Now, these books, they're a lot darker, they're a lot grittier, 
uh, they're, they're, it's a very kind of primal world. It is it is the jungle, and as jungle laws, you know, <laughs> kill or you know, kill and survive. You know, eat or be eaten. That sort of a thing. Uh, it is a fight for survival. And so he grows up stronger than the average person, but he has a different way of looking at things. And in the books, when he gets around civilized people, he has a very different point of view on things. And he really has a distaste and distrust for the ways of civilization as we know it. Uh, so it's very interesting. Um, in, now, in this film... We are basically dealing with their Edgar Rice Burroughs version, not not any version you've seen before, where you have a very musical. Uh, there is a hint of that into this movie, but in the book it describes it as this weird primal, unhuman noise that he can make, and it's a victory thing when he is when he is won over a, an enemy. He will make that noise, and it's a very frightening kind of sound. He makes that sound in this movie. You get to hear it in the background, and they they did a little bit of, uh, in there, but they have. Uh, that, that finishes it off, and I liked that. I mean, this was the, the Tarzan Edgar Rice Burroughs imagined and that people read about. So this isn't really a film. You know, your younger children might be a little frightened. I mean, the violence when it does happen is pretty savage. Uh, it's not, you know, extremely like bloody or gory or anything, but it is rough and savage. Uh, it is animalistic. Um, so you know if you you know your children you know if you if that would be too much for them if if some of the jungle book was scary to them this would definitely be too much for them so don't bring your children that couldn't handle the jungle book but this is definitely a step up from jungle book as far as the grittiness and the you know frighteningness of the the animals that that Tarzan will have to contend with he even at one point has to battle his brother because his brother feels like Tarzan apparently has abandoned the family now we don't get to really hear what the animals are saying to him. You know, these are not talking animals. They don't go through and it's like, okay, because we want you to understand what Tarzan understands from the animal. So the animal's now going to talk, but the, we can just understand Jane doesn't know it. The animal will just kind of make sort of a, you know, a noise or whatever. And Tarzan will talk to his companions and tell, okay, well, this is what they're, they're communicating with us. So Tarzan understands the language of animals. He can communicate back. But we, we as, as humans watching this will basically hear when Tarzan tells other people what's actually going on. Uh, so, this film basically finds John Greystoke living nicely in England with Jane, his wife. Uh, you know, we don't get to see his cousin anymore, but I, I don't remember in the book what eventually became of William uh, Clayton. He was he was not a bad guy. He was a rival for Jane's affections in the first book, and it even seems that Jane was going to accept a marriage proposal from William, and so Tarzan actually does leave. Uh, and return to his jungles at the end of the first book. But that does change in the second book, is Return of Tarzan, and by the end, of course, he and Jane are married. Um, and this this movie kind of picks up where that all have happened, so it could help to actually have read the books, although you're going to get some pretty good backstory in the course of the film, where you do get to see Kerchak, uh, you know, kill, and killing his father, and the, his mother just succumbing to, uh, you know, disease, perhaps. Uh, maybe childbirth was too rough. Um so we don't really get to see what actually happens to Kerchak, because I do recall in the book that Tarzan does have some fights with Kerchak and everything, and ends up pretty torn up a few times. Uh, he's not quite as the... Well, you know, as far as the apes, I guess, are concerned, he's kind of more of a benevolent leader, as, as Disney portrayed him. And they did have at least some contention between Tarzan and Kerchak. Uh, but it's a lot more violent in the book. And also is presented in the movie, because you do get to see some instances... Um, and they did make it different how Jane is in Africa. She's there kind of with her father, and they were studying, I guess, the indigenous peoples 
there, and so she's friends with the tribesmen. Tarzan, of course, is friends with the tribesmen, but uh, I digress, and I've jumped away from what I was telling you. Um, but anyway, so Tarzan is in English, is in England, and the basic story goes that uh, this Belgian guy named like Rom, I believe it was, uh, he reminded me of Ludolf Belloc from uh, <laughs> from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But uh, Belgium has laid claim, you know, all of Europe, you know, they've kind of laid claim to pieces of Africa, and Belgium has claimed a large area in the Congo, but they're greatly in debt with trying to, you know, mine its riches and stuff like that. Uh, And so Rom is this guy who's gone in, and he kind of makes a deal with a tribe where the tribal leader, played by Digimon Hinsu, and I know I'm probably saying his name wrong, but you have seen him in Gladiator, you have seen him in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you'll know him when you see him, but he is this tribal leader, and they make a deal over a diamond mine to do have Tarzan brought to him because he's got a vendetta against Tarzan, which when you see the film you will understand. I'm not going to tell you now. So this whole thing lures up to where the uh, British Parliament and uh, Jim Broadbent, as you might have seen in the Harry Potter movies, um, as well, the last couple of, uh, Harry Potter movies, um, as the uh, new potions master that came along in the sixth Harry Potter film. I cannot think of his name for all the time, the uh, Slughorn. Uh, you'll recognize him right off. Uh, but of course, they, they are trying to get Tarzan to go to the Congo as kind of a, a tour to go and look and see what we've done with the great civilizationing and, and you know, the Belgians want you to come and see all this stuff of what you've done because you are famous and well-known, and if you give an endorsement, it'll be wonderful for them. Which, of course, Tarzan is not really into that because it's basically, you know, a bunch of Europeans come in and taking the land from the Congo people. Uh, but where Tarzan ends up actually coming is Samuel L. Jackson's character, George Washington Wilson, or Williams, I believe. Uh, and he has concerns about the Belgians going in there and making slaves. And so Tarzan kind of understands that, and so he goes to kind of help verify that this is going on. And that's our setup for this story. Now, what happens from that on, I'm not going to tell you. But it is very fun. It's interesting watching Tarzan's interaction with the animals, which... You can tell, you know, they're they're definitely computer generated animals. They don't look quite as real and yet just as real. It's it's somewhere in between, like the Jungle Book. The Jungle Book, I there's times it, the the animal behavior was so realistic that it almost seemed like they photographed and then mixed some computer with it. But apparently, they're all completely genera- computer generated in Jungle Book as well. But yeah, these looked very very good. But uh, they, I don't think they had as much believability. But maybe it's because how they were able to interact with Tarzan. Or John, as he's called most of the time during this. Uh, but they still looked very good. And it is very fun to see him interacting with the different tribes and the different animals as he comes back and uh, returns to his roots um, to basically investigate. I'll just put a, he's investigating what Rom is doing and what's po- possibly going on with uh, with a new slave trade being started from Belgium uh, being in there and doing things with the tribes. So that's kind of where we get started. And that's where I'll, I'll leave the plot for you because I do not want to spoil this because... This was a very good movie. This was very emotional, uh, very intense, very good storytelling, and directed by David Yates, uh, who, if you're familiar with the Harry Potter films, he took over from, what, the fifth film on through the end, and I believe he's also directing, or has directed, because it's now produced and we're waiting for it to come out, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Him. And if you're familiar with David Yates' style, he kind of washes a color over scenes to, to evoke certain moods. And boy, did I ever notice. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I always I didn't like about his direction with the Harry Potter films is he just washes over things so much with the color that it almost seems to 
wipe it out. You know, it, it, it's not as vivid. Uh, but it seemed to work fairly well with this. It still looked fairly well. Uh, also, I didn't like David Yates seemed to play downtone the magic elements of uh, his Harry Potter films. In this case, though, in a Tarzan film, you don't have any magic going on. So he can just, you know, direct a film as he knows to do. And actually, I think he did very well. Uh, I was very, very much enjoyed. Also, this gives you a chance to... Um, See, so what is her name? Margot something, who's playing Harley Quinn in the upcoming Suicide Squad. If you happen to be interested in that film, she is playing Jane in this, and I think she actually did a bang-up job of playing Jane. Uh, this is Jane who does get herself into some trouble and does need some help from Tarzan, but she holds her own. Basically, if you're going to try to take her captor, you better be able to deal with her because she is not going quietly. So I think the women will be able to appreciate this is not... Uh, oh, Jane need help. Save me, Tarzan. It's definitely not that, but she does, you know, need his assistance because she's got, you know, a whole bunch of people ca as her captors when she gets into trouble. But uh, she is very defiant to the end, so I think you will enjoy that as well. I did enjoy her as Jane. She was definitely someone who you could uh, imagine as being somebody that would marry Tarzan, you know, for being that strong type of type and, you know. And understanding, you know, I think having her as working, growing up with the tribes kind of helps establish her as a bit slightly different character where she understands Tarzan better and she's, you know, all the stronger for it. And she's accepted as part of the, uh, a tribe there. Overall, though, very great film. Uh, if you're planning on a good holiday, well, of course, by the time you hear this, it'll be past the holiday weekend. So if you haven't gone out and see one of these over holiday weekend, I definitely recommend going out and seeing both of these films. I have managed to see two films now around the holiday weekend because I wanted to bring you a review of each. And both of these films are excellent, and I advise seeing them both while in the theaters. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't nobody gonna sing with me. Okay. The Neverland Trailer Park. So now, for our trailer park, instead of a trailer but you know they did show this in front of Tarzan but this is a little different this is a featurette uh, talking about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them and after that we'll just have a lot of good patriotic fun that uh, you here in the United States can just enjoy while you're viewing fireworks uh, those of you in Canada you just celebrated Canada Day so you know what <laughs> feel free to celebrate again so here we go enjoy the rest of the show My heroes are always people who feel themselves to be set apart, stigmatized, or othered. That's at the heart of most of what I write. And it's certainly at the heart of this movie. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was a textbook that Harry Potter used at school. While I was writing Potter, I became quite interested in Newt's commander. So I knew quite a lot about Newt. He's been traveling the world, studying magical creatures. He calls himself a magizoologist. First trip to America? Yes. Must get that fixed. Newt's creatures bled in this magical case. You open it up, you can go down. It's an amazing space. feels more at home with creatures than he does with human beings. Come on, give me a smile. Newt walks into a society he doesn't really 
understand. Mr. Scranda, do you know anything about the wizarding community in America? I know that you have rather backwards laws about relations with non-magic people. That you're not meant to befriend them, you can't marry them, which seems wildly absurd to me. You marry him. And then Jacob accidentally opens Newt's case full of magical creatures. Hey, Mr. English guy, I think your egg is hatching. So Newt gets embroiled in this adventure. He starts to look a bit more like a hero. It's something that has implications for the whole wizarding world.
until the rising of the new dawn. Let us observe the retiring of the colors.
Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you.